Welcome to the MRI Cast. These podcasts focus on various current topics in MRI. We invite you to ask questions via the website and even suggest topics for future MRI casts. The opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect standards in clinical practices, nor should they be considered as medical advice. This program is made possible by an unrestricted educational grant from Braco Diagnostics. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Please. Thank you. You're too kind. Thank you. Welcome. I'm Bill Faulkner. This is another episode of the MRI cast. And with me is none other than... I'm Kristen Harrington. Thanks, uh, thanks everyone, for being here. Yeah, we appreciate you subscribing, and we do appreciate the unrestricted educational grant from Baracco Diagnostics. We do appreciate that. Yes. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be doing this. We do appreciate it. They are just All right, folks. Yes, they are wonderful. Yes. So uh, go ahead. Let's do this. All right. So here we go. We've got something really good for you today. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. It is remote scanning. Oh, come on. No, 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 no. Everybody's got all these ideas, I think, about remote scanning, and it's 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 not what you think. Kristen, why don't you get us started? Tell us what it is and, and what it is, you know? So you, you did that, but, you know, it's it's funny that you, you start with that. Oh, but what's <laughs> interesting about that is we prob- some people probably just went ahead and ran from this podcast. And, you know, that's, <laughs> what, we're, that's what we're trying to accomplish is to um, let everyone know that it, it's here and um, it's being very successfully implemented because it's being done correctly. And so um, that is like our focus. Uh, you know, um, I, I just want to tell you what it's not. And Bill, do you mind if I kind of just go through that and then we'll talk oh, about please. what it is? Yeah, please do. Okay, so through, you know, there's a lot of efforts that we put in as far as time, travel, Um, learning from all different aspects, whether it be from the customers that are utilizing this, uh, whether it be from a vendor aspect, whether it be from a crediting body. And we're going to talk about all those different things and then the roles and responsibilities. But, you know, when I discuss this with people, they they are either 100% on, 100% off, and if they're 100 percent on their biggest, you know, deterrent and question is about safety. Well, let's we'll get to that. I mean, that is you know, ever present on your mind. And um, so we're, we're going to talk about that and hopefully help you with this decision-making process. But, you know, what is not is, um, you know, a huge misconception, Bill. It is that it is not scanning at home. And um, at least currently, it's not being handled that way. It is a solution that doesn't involve you know, your feet on the desk looking at, you know, some different computers and being distracted um, and not focusing on all the different things um, that you should be. So it's done in a very different type of environment. Um, and it's it's a fantastic solution. So, you know, I've kind of said a lot of, you know, this stuff, but we need to break it down. 
So yeah, the you know the the first thing that that you need to conceptualize or, or visualize is what we would call a hub or a control center, which is a let's just make it a room. Uh, actually, the best implementation that we've heard is when people do this and set it up kind of almost like a reading room environment, like you know where a radiologist would would read. Um, we talked to somebody who initially had a large control room and they uh, set up the control center off in a corner of the control room. Uh, and the problem was there was just not that y'all have ever seen this, but a control room can get a little frantic at times and just, there's a lot of stuff going on. Right. And so they said they made that mistake once and they'll never do it again. So this control center picture, if you will, a, a very comfortable, you know, room environment, office type environment, and a single control center would have two, maybe three monitors. And this, these monitors will, is through which the remote technologist will be working with whomever is on site locally. So on the local side of things, there is some type of communication. One vendor that provides this remote scanning services, one vendor utilizes a uh, iPad tablet uh, through which think of FaceTime constant communication between the remote uh, technologist and whoever is on the local side. And then there are cameras, uh, as many as four cameras set up within the MRI environment. Uh, one camera certainly focused down the bore, on the bore of the magnet so the remote technologist can see the patient in the magnet. Some facilities may have a camera on the back of the magnet Another option to additional option would be a camera mounted on the ceiling that's looking straight down at the magnet at the entrance to the bore. So, for example, uh, what you would be seeing if you were, say, positioning a patient for a head exam. And then they can have another camera possibly in the control room or maybe even showing the in injector uh, set up. And so, uh, again, it's it's... It really is determined by the uh, the site and and what they what they want. Is that kind of a did I leave anything out, Kristen? Well, I you know I'm sure I'm joking. Um, I'm sure. <laughs> I think you know the one huge takeaway on this journey that we've been down is um you, you know the most important thing from customers. Um, that were choosing different vendors, one of their most important things was about how this is, um, you know, operationalized. Um, that's a big word for me, but, um, you know, how they, you know, did the implementation of this and um, just being prepared. And from our perspective, um, in our discussions, we believe that the very first thing you need to do is, okay, we need a solution because what is it? We're about at about around 70, 72% of, you know, as far as the um, radiology um, MRI department. Staffing. 
staffing. Yes. And so it's, you know, some refer to it as a, you know, a crisis. So one of the things we discuss, um, Bill and I is, you know, what, um, we have to assess the facility. So you need to assess where you're at and say, is this a solution for us? And many places, you know, say, yes, we absolutely need something like this. So you have to kind of assess where you're at and then know, you know, if the end state goal is to implement this, but you, you got to know where you start from. That's true. And you also, one of the other things that you have to be, uh, that you have to check out when you when you start looking at this implementation is your network capabilities. Uh, this is one reason why, at least right now, uh, you're not seeing it done from home. There's se several reasons for that. One is network security, and the other one is network bandwidth. Uh, you, what you don't want to have happen is you don't want to be remotely operating a, a system and you grab the mouse and you move the mouse remotely, and then there's a lag, a latency, between what you do and what's actually done on the scanner. So that requires a really big size network and good bandwidth. One group we talked to said that they wound up having to actually install a secondary network because they it put too many demands on their current network, which contains the RISs and, you know, Epic and or whatever else they're using. So uh, IT has to be very heavily involved in this. And, and one other thing before we move into uh, any, any other thing we want to add to the front end of this before we move on. The other thing is when you are selecting a vendor for your purposes, um, if you have multiple types of equipment, multiple vendors, you know, GE, Philips, Siemens, Hitachi, uh, Fuji, you know, whatever, Canon, all these different types of systems, then it's important that whatever solution you pick and move to with remote scanning, and the term it's used is either vendor neutral or if I've heard vendor agnostic, meaning it just doesn't care what systems on the other end of it. And so, um, that's kind of the framework of it. Again, Kristen, anything else before we kind of move on to another little topic here with it? No, that's, you know, that's important. We did hear that, you know, seeing the bandwidth and what your capabilities. And I just wanted to add to that. You and I have discussed that, you know, this technology has been around for a really long time. And um, it, it was has. really something, yeah, it has. And so it's something that, what you know, service has been able to log into, you know, vendors for a very long time to do a remote testing, uh, quality assurance. So they've been able to do that, I know having worked for a vendor, um, that they had the capabilities of, you know, logging it many, many years ago. I'm not going to give my age out here because it'll be nauseating. But, um, you know, at, at one point it was, you know, it, it's been possible since, you know, I was very young. And so, it, it, the problem, just to your point, is that lag was a major issue back in the late 90s, early 2000s when I, start, I first started seeing this ability to log in. And then what happened on my end if I was at a, you know, a facility is I would have to allow, you know, click allow, and then they would actually move around. But I would see the mouse taking kind of forever, if you know what I'm talking about, as far as that lag. Right. And so uh, right now, 
uh, what's the, the signals that are coming out of the scanner being transmitted to through a sent and typically what will happen is signals come out of the scanner and it's called a KVM switch, keyboard, video, and mouse. And so those things are allowed to be controlled remotely or seen remotely, goes through a large central server. Uh, and again, there's encryption on both sides of it and then to, to the remote. And so, again, we can't stress enough how important that, you know, the network is to all this. Did you say this, Bill, that, um, you know, we talked about location and how, you know, a facility that was very successfully doing this, that they said that they had tried it right next to the magnet. So people would never think, you know, why would they have this right here? And, you know, they were able to connect to other multiple facilities, um, whether that be vendor agnostic, vendor neutral, or just, you know, to, to one type of, of system. But um, that, that was not successful. And you, I know that you said, you know, a reading room type of environment um, is, is important. And I think maybe what people are hearing out of this, just planning, planning, planning after assessment. Okay. The first thing is you can just say, I know we need this. I know this is our solution. Well, the solution has endless opportunities. Um, and I am very pro remote uh, imaging scanning because of, of the journey we've been on. And um, it's like any other type of new technology. I just want to go down this is that anytime we have, you know, something new coming out, it's um, there's a lot of trepidation that people have, and there's always going to be that that learning um, curve, and that you know that like no no pushback, and um, that could be you know we can you know, compare that to implants and devices. So I mean you know we want to try and dispel that and, and just figure out is this something you need to look into, and otherwise it's just really interesting and food for thought. Well, let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about the reasons, and there's more reasons than you could than people come to mind um, that people have come to mind. I mean, the first thing that comes up is, well, we're going to use remote scanning because I don't have a technologist right here on site. Okay, well, that's one of them. We'll talk about it in a little bit, but let's talk about some of the other uh, reasons why you'd want to do that. Kristen, you want to? We've got a little list here. Well, I think that, you know, I, I, I'll just go off of memory, but let's just talk about, let's say there's 300 magnets and you have someone that's getting on an aircraft, with, you know, across the nation, you have a subject matter expert, but you have a lot of them across the nation, but you've got one that's defined and they are like a senior applications type of person. They have to know all different types of vendors, but they're they're physical, (laughs) humanly possible bandwidth is only so much. So they get on an aircraft and then they go to this location or that location, maybe two or three locations within a week and and they try and and fix things. Well, um, you know, they're only going to be able to get to so many places. So then you do find someone that you can hire. Um, Well, they need to be trained. And so you could use a remote facility to have this person not just be trained on the facility um, and these this large organization, but you can train them on multiple. For some of these vendors we've talked to with this offering um, and solution for, you know, 
being able to image remotely, it helps to train the new staff. Um, it um, will allow, let's say you have staff, but they need to learn now to, um, from the subject matter expert, that would be, I'm talking about the person that's at the remote um, portion of things. Let's just say reading room environment. Um, they can actually do additional education and say, you know what, I'm going to have you, you know, watch at the console at the patient um, point of care, the local side of things. And I'm going to I'm going to teach you how to do this breast. But to that point, Bill, what about a patient that needs access to that breast exam and they live in middle of nowhere, USA? Well, that's that's just it. Um, a lot of sites. I know one that um, site that I've read about one organization uh, published a little short article, but this is is one of the uses that they found for it. So again, scenario is you have a central uh, flagship hospital mothership, and you know how it's been over the last several years. These big hospital organizations will buy up smaller hospitals that are out, you know, in more remote areas to spread their outreach for their uh, for their organization. And so you've got uh, an MR imaging facility uh, at one of these uh, outlying uh, smaller hospitals and their technologists, you know, have never been exposed to doing, you know, sophisticated type techniques. And as long as you've got coils and software, you know, you can have this subject matter expert, the super tech, if you will, available. For example, a patient wants an MR interrography or they need an MR interrography. And rather than have them drive, you know, 20, 30, 40 I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, miles. I'm going to interrupt about this. Um, and the reason I'm going to do this is I know a lot of pushback, um, Bill, is going to be that people say, well, we don't have um, that, you know, a specific breast coil. I'll take, we'll just go down yeah. the road right now. And they'll say, well, mm -hmm. I, I'm not able. Well, most of us have these 3D dynamic contrast enhanced, you know, studies that we can use. And when I started doing breast imaging, we had a linear coil and probably some, some of you don't even know what that is. That's aging myself, you know, tremendously. And um, we actually did on a linear coil started, you know, doing the research on these dynamics. And so what I'm saying, you probably wouldn't even have to use a linear coil, but we got some really good stuff and it may take a But my point here is you don't necessarily have to have, I mean, if it's cardiac, you probably do need a cardiac package, but these things can many times be done. Breast is some, some basic things. We used to build someone up on pillows. We used a certain coil and we didn't have anything to work with, but you know what we had? We had subject matter experts, which at that time I was considered one. That's why I was doing the research. So let's take a subject matter expert that is at the um, control center and they say, oh, well that, you know, you know, someone calls and they're in remote USA and they say that, you know, this patient, they call, they need a breast done. Well, the subject matter expert, one of their roles can be, you know what, we can do this. We can help you. What calls do you have? That's why they're a subject matter expert. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, and there's, uh, like I said, there's uh, numerous types of scenarios for training new people and smaller remote facilities. 
the um, other things that we've, you know, considered going back to staffing insufficiencies, um, people get sick, people call in sick, um, you know, and so if you've got, uh, again, depending on the facility, a, a tech calls in sick and nobody's, you know, nobody's there to scan. I have a friend of mine that's director of radiology department in uh, somewhere in, in Pennsylvania, and he was telling me the other day uh, he had to go in on Sunday evening because the, the both the techs on the evening shift called in sick. And fortunately, he knows how to do MRI and, you know, found himself in there, you know, having to scan. So there's sick days, there's vacation. Um, what if you want to extend your hours? Uh, now, again, I know people are saying, well, who's going to be, you know, at the scanner? Just hold on to that. We're going to talk about that. Hold on, hold, wait minute. for it, wait for it. Wait, wait for it, wait for it. Uh, but additional hours, uh, unexpected leave of absence maternity leave. And in fact, think about this. Um, and we saw one facility that actually does this. They've got this big calendar scheduled out. So they know ahead of time when somebody's going to be on vacation at a particular facility. Um, They're planning they, at least a month yeah. out. They had that. was yeah. a, you, You're going to keep hearing that, you know, underlying they're planning, they're planning. And that is why, and, and you know what? They've, they've tripped, they've made mistakes. They are a best practice. Um, there's several that are absolutely best practices. But one of the things that we were shown is this very detailed, um, you know, schedule where they knew now, I mean, but also just what, you know, what you were saying, you know, on a Friday night, I was going to a Christmas party Friday morning. I broke my leg. I was supposed to help out at the children's hospital PRN. And I had to call and tell them, you know, I broke my leg. And um, I think they thought, well, maybe, you know, I little just had a little tiny fracture, you know, and um, I, you know, 14 months in a wheelchair, definitely need a coverage. <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's the other thing is, and just to what would really summarize these instances that we've been talking about, is that if you've got the ability for remote scanning, you can very easily prevent delays in imaging um, for, from a patient standpoint, uh, whether they have to wait until uh, a certain technologist is on duty at a certain location, you know, things like that do happen today. And this is a solution for that uh, type of scenario. Yeah, I want to talk so, local. Okay, so it's a solution. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, think about um, at your department. One thing that was discussed, I did a presentation on this recently. And I had talked to someone when I, after I did a, a different presentation the day before. And they said, and it was, I did a presentation on medical emergencies and they said, well, I'm having so much difficulty at this, you know, and they were at a very high throughput type of trauma environment. And they were like, how do I keep an eye on these, you know, five, I think they said six people from ICU, which, you know, includes respiratory therapy, that includes anesthesiology, that includes all these different people that don't know the environment. And then they've got a patient that's currently on the table. 
And they are supposed to, they're like, Kristen, how do I manage this and keep an eye? Because, you know, following those ACR, the ACR manual, they're supposed to be under that direct supervision of a level two trained. And they're like, how do I do all of this at one time? Well, this is part of that solution as far as being able to manage those people. Wouldn't it give you an ah moment? Because I told the person, I said, well, just listen to my talk tomorrow because they were a huge facility. Listen to my talk tomorrow and see if this might give you that, oh, I can take a deep breath moment because there are solutions out there that would allow me to actually really monitor the people and maintain control of these people that don't understand our environment that have come from other places. And um, someone could be scanning the patient safely that's on the table. One of the things that uh, we're leading into, let's lead into the safety uh, discussion of this. And one of the things that I would like you to think about is how often you sitting at a console, sitting in a scanner, how distracted you are most of the time. Uh, you're more distracted than you're not. You've got the phone ringing. You've got people coming in to the, to the control area, that Kristen said. You've got all these ancillary people there, and you're trying to scan. It seems like, at least in my experience, it's almost like the last thing that comes up on your mind is, oh, oh, there's a patient on the table. I've got, you know, to scan and, and watch all this other stuff going device. on. Bill, I've got an implanter device that I need to look up really quickly while I'm doing all right. these other things. Yeah. So there's... When you are, if you are scanning remotely, you have no distractions. Your complete focus is on the exam that you're doing and you have no distractions. Now, that means you've got to have other people on the local side. You've got to have someone that is constantly in contact with and looking at watching the patient. And that person, you know, the other, the other person there, let's talk about who that could possibly be on the local side. Now, we've already talked about a scenario where you've got an MRI technologist there that you're assisting remotely or that you're helping teach remotely. So you've got a, a, one scenario where you've got an MRI technologist sitting there locally. But what about other uh, types of personnel that you could have there. Um, and, and let me, let me say this about safety to, to, yeah. I guess, get this out of the way. When, when a technology technologist, we've said technologist is the last line of defense, but safety is a problem. If that technologist is your only line of defense, and this is part of your assessment before getting into this. If you take the physical presence of that technologist away from that physical scanner, you put them remotely. If you take that physical presence of that technologist away and you feel you have a significant safety problem in doing so, we would submit to you that you have a serious safety problem to begin with. That if that technologist is all you rely on, to keep bad things from happening, then you don't have enough layers of safety. 
there is a recent, uh, apparently it happened, uh, I believe it was in Northern California from what we understood, very recent incident where um, uh, the MRI technologist was away from the scanner and the table was undocked and a nurse and some other person, I'm not sure what their job function was, so I'm not going to say. I've heard people comment on it, but I don't have not verified it. So this nurse and some other person rolled a patient into the magnet room on this on a huge transport bed. It slammed into the into the scanner. The bed tilted. The patient slid off into the floor. wasn't hurt, but the nurse was severely injured. Uh, I understand that fractured femur. Uh, pelvis or something, a major injury. And this occurred when the technologist was away from the scanning console. So that right there tells me that this facility doesn't have enough safety layers in place as it was. So again, this whole thing about, well, if the technologist isn't there, are you safe to begin with? Because, you know, that's what people yeah. come to us and they say, well, we're going to have safety issues and, you know, it's it's not going to be as safe. Well, you know, let me throw this into your mind. Could it possibly be actually a more safe environment? Well, you know, I've, I've actually thought about this and I've reached out and right now we have no metrics and we don't have that information but, it, you know, it'd be great, but people have very poor reporting in a lot of scenarios where they don't report what's happened. And then when they do, you know, possibly implement this remote um, scanning, then, you know, they, they can't really say that, you know, we have less, you know, incidents. But anecdotally, they're saying, yes, it's, it seems to be because it's actually... Um, you can concentrate on your role. And so, you know, you were talking about, I'm going to throw a couple out here as far as who could be, you know, this MR personnel. This is not, you know, me, you know, just having anyone do it. It's, you know, an x-ray. First of all, you said MR technologist, so I wasn't going to say that again. But think about x-ray technologists. Think about a shared console room with CT and MR. Um also, there are so many people that want to cross train. Think about that, Bill. I mean, you know, students. Oh, absolutely. This is a perfect opportunity. And so this person who is going to be introducing the patient into zone four, this person needs to be fully trained to, at level to level two status. And I mean, let's just go down the list of what they need to know how to do uh, very well. And this is not rocket science. Okay, first off, screening the patient, okay, needs to be done properly. So there needs to be training there while you're asking what you're asking, what to ask. Dressing the patients, dressing all patients in MR-appropriate attire as per ACR recommendations. Then positioning the patient uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the magnet, uh, padding the patient, preventing skin-to-skin -skin contact, uh, ensuring there's no uh, foreign uh, items on the patient like uh, unwanted ECG electrodes and things like that, external devices like glucose monitor, you know, the, the usual screening thing like that. 
this is this can easily be taught to to anyone and a lot of people even are using what they would call an mr tech aid which again is a highly trained person and sites have to have structured education and training for these people and get them checked off on safety so that you don't have a, a safety hole that they can fall into. Right. Right. And so, you know, there are, there are some I've heard training programs out there and um, also at the facility side, if this is a solution, um, it, it is a solution if this is what you choose to do and you've assessed and evaluated. Um, and then you say, well, we are going to, um, you know, utilize these highly trained individuals. Um, then you need to have your own type of education. Um, and one facility had like seven weeks of education for these people. Um, yes. You know, I, I think that, you know, they're going to be highly trained. I, I think that it's, it's, it's going to be there if you do it right. You know, you can have a competency checkoff. Uh, and I think that's, you know, you've got to do it. Now, here's something that's interesting to think about. In, uh, I want to say it's 19, uh, let me look here closer, uh, 2019, sorry. In 2019, there was an article published in a physics journal that uh, was authored primarily by folks at the FDA. And what they did was they looked at a 10-year period. Through, they looked through their MAUD database where incidents are reported. And we know that uh, we feel very comfortable that probably you know, less than 15%, you know, probably as little as 15% or less are actually reported. But be that as it may, over this 10-year period from January 2008 to December 2017, they uh, tallied up uh, 1,568 adverse events. Um, and of those uh, adverse events, I want you to listen to what these adverse events were. First off is... Um, the first off thing is that it was thermal events. Thermal events were uh, 59% of those reported were thermal events. That's, that's burns, okay? Burns occurring from bore wall contact, skin-to-skin uh, -skin contact, uh, contact with some sort of uh, metallic item uh, in the bore. You know, I, they, don't, they didn't list it out, but I'm just thinking of these things that would fall under thermal events. 59%, so nearly 60% were related to that. 11% uh, were mechanical. They refer to this as like slip and falls, crush injuries, broken bones, cuts, MSK injury, so on. 9% projectile, 6% acoustic. So all of these incidents are on the local side. These incidents have to do with proper positioning, padding, uh, screening of items going into the room or not going into the room, and proper hearing protection. All of this can be done by a non-MRI technologist. A, a non-MRI technologist can be adequately trained to recognize and prevent these kinds of incidents. Would, would you not agree, Chris? 
Absolutely. Again, I, I feel like whether I was, you know, concentrating on a very high quality exam uh, or I was at the, and that's would be remote, or if I was at the local end of things, I would be able to really control the environment. Like you said, a thorough conversation for screening, um, you know, verification and going through that, you know, a, you know, full stop final check and, and not feel rushed and not feel like, you know, constantly scattered about, you know, what is going on, it allows you again, to, um, to concentrate on on what you're doing. And someone, it can be multiple people, does it have to be an MR tech? No. And let's just bring this up, you know, we are not trying to change any staffing models with with this podcast. No, we're what we're saying is, is that remote scanning uh, is is an answer to many uh, different different solutions, and you still have to be safe. You still have to follow, in our opinion, should follow the ACR staffing model, which uh, originally says you know one technology minimum of one MR technologist and then another MR safety trained person, but in the zones two to three area that's within earshot. Um, but in this case, it could be two, you know, one highly trained level two person who's going to be directly responsible for observation and care of that patient on the local side. And then somebody else within earshot should uh, some sort of uh, emergency arise. So we're not saying you need to change this. We're saying, you know, we need to stay within the same safety models. And this means that a facility has to have strong enforced safety policies and procedures, not just reliant on the MRI tech to be there. And maybe they do. Maybe, maybe you have great policies and procedures. And one of your frustrations is we can't follow them. Um, and I feel like we have a less safe environment. You and I do so many different, you know, site audits to help people. And this is a big frustration for them. And, um, you know, this actually, in my opinion, would allow me to concentrate and be better at what I'm doing. If um and observe the people that are in zone three, um, while I've got this, you know, hopefully a tablet, constant communication with whoever is at the remote location about what's going on, you know, that is critical while you're able to, to concentrate on this other, you know, hospital personnel that might be in your department. I think that it pulls some things as far as your concentrations away and you don't have to multitask and, and spread yourself so thin and follow what might be very strong policies and procedures, but you're unable to do so right now. Yeah, I mean, you've got to have, I know one uh, one facility we were at, talking about using a tech aid, one facility we, we were uh, visiting some years ago, when they had a complex procedure that required, uh, you know, anesthesia, nursing, and, and all that kind of stuff. So in addition to the technologists at the scanner, what they did, which I thought was absolutely brilliant, is they had a technologist aid. 
this technologist aide was assigned the job of safety monitor. I don't know if you remember that or not, but it, the, this person <laughs> monitored that state. Remember that? I mean, it was kind of like the bouncer, uh, if it you will. Bouncer. And, I mean, it was big enough yeah. to be a bouncer too. And you and I looked yeah. like we were in hazmat suits. Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh yeah. So this, this person's responsibility was to monitor these non-MRI personnel so that the technologist could function by or could focus on rather scanning the patient and not have to be watching these people out of the corner of their eye. I think, again, so many sites don't pay close enough attention to their staffing as it is now. And again, if done well, the fact that the technologist is remote doesn't change the safety of the patient. Because let's look at it this way. Let me just ask these questions. How would remote scanning change a site, that is the MRMD and the administrations, how would remote scanning change the site's responsibility to provide a safe environment for the MRI procedure? I would both submit to you it does not. The site still has to provide this safe environment. And going back to my original point, if the MRI tech is your only line of defense, that's not good. Uh, it's it's not good as it is, you know. Yeah, we <laughs> and then all, here's another one. You know, when people have all you know, get all nervous about this, you know, where are we? And and we do need we do need a solution like this. Right. And so how does remote scanning then change a site's uh, responsibility to provide safety policies and procedures? Uh, it does not. Kristen, what would your answer be for that? It does not. Absolutely. Right. There is no, right. There, there is no change to that. A tough and, question, Bill. Ask me a tough one. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here comes another one then. How would remote scanning change a site's, uh, and again, the MRMD and administration's responsibility to properly train or ensure that the personnel who provide the patient care are adequately trained in MRI safety. So how would it change that? I'm, I'm going to go with, so I went with radiology for 200 daily <laughs> double. I'm going to say it yeah. does not. <laughs> right. It does not. No, it does not change it. I mean, you still have to have those uh that training in place. And so many sites still today don't, in our opinion, do adequate safety training as it is. And then here's another one. Okay, see if I can get this one past you. How does remote scanning alter the supervising radiologist responsibility to ultimately determine the MR safety of a patient undergoing an MRI procedure? And keep in mind, this MR radiologist supervising the procedure may not be on site either. Okay, well, let right? me answer the question, and then I'm going to elaborate um, on that uh -huh. as well. But I'm nervous about this one because I put all my I put all my money out there, and so um, okay, yeah, I could I could be a winner here or a big loser, but I'm going to go with it does not. Yep, absolutely. You are correct. Ding, ding. Yeah, I don't have a, I don't have a, a winner winner sound effect, but yeah, um, it it doesn't change. And then keep in mind the radiologists they they've been remote reading for a long time, and in fact, sometimes the radiologists doing the reading are on the other side of the freaking planet. 
We were talking, I talked to someone on the phone this week and they said, well, you know, actually we used to use a service in um, Australia when I was on call. And I said, so do we, we, and we actually, we, I meant remember the name. They, they said it. I was like, yeah, we use the same service. And so there was something online and um, I was reading it and someone said, well, I think that these people should have to sign. This may have even been in another country. Um, They need to have someone sign some sort of form that the person that's um, actually scanning you is not here. Well, I think that's ridiculous. Um, And, uh, you know, because of what you're saying for years, radiologists have done this remote reading um, from, you know, one location, even into another state, as long as they, you know, licensures worked, which that's been brought up to us many times, you know, how can we do that with our state licensures? Well, sometimes everybody, these people are going to be three floors up in your same building. So that's irrelevant. So, yeah. Well, you know, and the other thing, because that just actually brought uh, something to mind here. Uh, we were talking with, uh, and, and this actually made me change my view on this. Uh, the one thing that we haven't said that currently is not uh, being done uh, that we are aware of, and that is while the uh, remote technologist has direct and constant visual and uh, verbal communication with the whoever is dealing with the patient at the scanner locally, the local person, while they have that communication, what they don't have right now is direct communication to the patient. Now, there are ways around it. Uh, I'm told breath-holding stuff's done by the voice automation, that sort of thing. But one way around it is to put the iPad up next to the microphone should the tech want to speak directly to the patient. And, you know, I have since day one, I've been, yeah, that would be, I really still would want to be able to talk, talk to the patient if needed. And maybe there's still some reason for that. But in talking with this person uh, who runs a very large practice, utilizes remote scanning, she said, they really prefer not. They prefer that the person, local person, whether that be uh, uh, an x-ray tech, uh, MR tech, or a tech aide, they prefer that local person be the one that's constantly communicating with the patient. And because they say their job is to focus solely on the patient and to check with the patient in between each series, communicate, you know, continually with the patient. And as I got to thinking about that, I thought, you know, that's really a, that's really a good thing because one of the things that I heard Kristen say many years is that if our preference would be that the person that's screening the patient be the one that scans the patient, because in that screening process, you get to build a rapport with the patient and that can help patient anxiety so this constant communication with whoever is the, on the local side can be a big benefit, I think, in reducing patient anxiety. Would you, and would you not agree? Abs- uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm all about creating relationships. And, you know, I think that, um, 
you know, honestly, that's that's something big that I've always focused on, especially I worked in a pediatric environment for many, many years. And I was able, in my opinion, to get a lot of a lot of these younger children to be able to do without sedation just through creating that relationship. And um, I didn't want even, for example, you know, I've done a lot with MR enterography. So when I would start having them, you know, drink the contrast and um, the negative agent, then I would go ahead and create that relationship. And I would say, you know, you're going to be hearing my voice. You're going to be hearing this, you know, when we go through certain sequences. And um, I will tell you, I think that I had a very high success rate as far as being able to get these patients done. And um, it, it was very, very, very helpful to be able to do that. And so, um, you know, I've, that's what I've experienced in that, that relationship, less repeats. I mean, we can take down the physics alley too. less repeats, patient, mm -hmm. you know, throughput. There's so many different things. You, the patient doesn't get as warm. They're not on the table as long. So that means you have the next patient you can do. There's a lot of benefits to that relationship. And then the, the last thing I want to look at, talk about, we're getting down to the end of this, uh, is having to do with uh, accreditation, uh, site credentialing, because this comes up a lot. Well, how is this going to affect, uh, you know, our site's accreditations? Well, there are, I think there's more than four, but the four uh, accrediting bodies that we are most aware of would be the Intersocietal Accreditation Commission, that's the IAC. Uh, it used to be, um, oh, I'm blocking on the, it, it, it morphed from um, ICAMRL, I-C-A-M-R-L or something like that. Uh, and it's now IAC. Then there's one called RADSITE. There is, of course, the American College of Radiology. And then there's Joint Commission. We know that having talked to at least a couple of these, we know that they are in the works of establishing certain criteria uh, around remote scanning. And the ACR is supposed to be coming out. <laughs> you go to their website and their new manual, coming soon, it says, right? The new manual. And the date on this is November of 2022. And it's still coming soon. Okay. Um, they state on their website that they're going to um, address remote scanning in some form. I would expect Joint Commission to parrot whatever the ACR says, because that's typically the way it goes. Kristen's any thoughts on this? Because then I want to read to you what the ACR currently says in terms of personnel. And, and this is where I think the accreditation is going to point to. Yeah, I think that in, in speaking and um, doing our research and um, hearing from, you know, just kind of, you know, casual conversations about remote scanning, you know, some of the accrediting bodies are, are thinking about, you know, what type, if we were to use someone that doesn't have, a, you know, a, an intense medical background, such as an x-ray student, someone that's cross-training, um, someone that currently works in x-ray, um, an MR technologist, if, if we had someone that was a patient care tech aide, an MR tech aide, a tech aide, whatever you 
want to call them, and they needed to be trained. Some of these accrediting bodies are saying, you know, we want some pretty stringent proficiencies that they are able to accomplish. And then others are a little bit, um, you know, less stringent and some, you know, we're waiting to hear anything and others, we haven't heard anything, but I will tell you that, you know, whether it's, you know, a small statement that we're looking forward to, it will be elaborated over time as this continues to grow. We're going to see more and more around this as far as a standard of care and how it's recommended to be handled. And I, and I think it's, it can easily be handled and addressed by, uh, very specific training education requirements, which right now there's really not anything super specific. So here's what the ACR says currently about MR personnel. And it says all individuals responsible for safety in zones three or four of the MR environment should be documented as having successfully educated, having been successfully educated regarding MR safety issues in a manner defined by the facilities MRMD. So this is not differentiating between technologists and non-technologists. It says all individuals responsible for safety in zones three or four. So this could be, or this, well, not could be, this does include anybody that works in zones three and four. And especially if they're going to be taking a patient into the magnet, uh, people use tech aids currently. Uh, they may have two magnets and they got a tech on each magnet and a tech aid in between. Uh, those tech aids, if they're positioning a patient, need to be highly trained. And this, again, is something sites need to be looking at. This is something they should be doing anyway. Um, and it says that um, such MR safety educational participation should be repeated annually and appropriate documentation should be maintained to confirm this ongoing MR safety educational effort. So, you know, quite honestly, I think the ACR pretty much lays out what we should be doing uh, anyway. And I would be surprised. The only thing I would expect to see probably, and this is pure spitballing here, just what I think might come out. And Chris, I'd like to see what you think of this. I think the one, the, the big thing would be probably more specifics on MR safety training. You know, I mean, what do you think? Just something more specific, like it has to include this, 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 and this, and so on. Uh, check off competencies, you know, you know, I'm not going to make a, you know, put a statement out there, but I think they will come out with a statement as far as them falling under the category. Okay, I'm just going to, this is spitballing. Um, uh, you know, they need to fall under the category of, you know, level two, trained to the level of um, MR personnel level two trained. Um, I think that they're going to place them, you know, in that category, just like they say that the, um, you know, supervising radiologists, you know, it is, you know, they should um, go have that annual training. And I'm, you know, pointing directly to the ACR when I when I make these statements. But I, I think they're going to be pointed to um, and listed out, you know, if, if you have someone in that role. Is that what you're asking? I mean, is that what you're trying to get yeah. my on? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying that, uh, you know, I think they they stayed already you know, that people working in MR should have this annual safety training. And if a lot of people listening to this podcast will be honest, many facilities still fall short on this. And and if 
implementing remote scanning makes people sit up and take notice of their safety, then that's not a bad thing, you know. But uh, again, the safety issue uh, can can easily uh, be resolved. Um, and again, it, it just has to be uh, has to be addressed and planning. You know, and one other thing we didn't mention, I was looking through here, anything I wanted to talk about right now, uh, as, it, as stuff is implemented right now, the um, remote technologists cannot initiate a contrast injection or they can inject. And that's for everyone that we reached out to. Yeah. You know, they all said that, you know, this is and because we are we, we are control freaks. Um, I, that's pretty much a, you know, common. We want to be able to control what's going on. So if you're a subject matter expert and you are remote, it would be great to be able to, you know, pull the trigger, so to speak, when we are actually about to do a contrast enhanced study. And everyone that we spoke to, that was currently not possible. But and also everyone we spoke to, it's something that is in their future plans. How that will be implemented, yeah. I have no idea. Well, and so therefore, if you if you think about it, if you have a contrast enhanced study, then you've got to have somebody who, and this could vary in this very state to state, you know, who can inject, who can start an IV and all that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, this has to be taken into account. You can't just have uh, somebody, uh, there may be requirements, there may be stringent state requirements uh, regarding who can administer contrast. And, you know, again, that would just have to be handled. Need a pulse. I mean, that's that's also right. part of our problem is um, mm-hmm. certain states don't require anything. And so that creates right. more of a learning curve, you know, as far as that goes. And I, I do know that we need to to kind of I'll, I'll give my um, my summarization of obviously, um, if that's OK with you, Bill. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that. First of all, I'm, I'm sure everyone listening to this knows that I am. I'm on board with this. Do I do I believe that um, there's a, has to be a lot of work done on the front end? Absolutely, because I believe that if that's done, the payoff is going to be greater as far as all aspects that we've talked about. Um, so you know, we've talked about multiple things, and um, I think that um, it is a solution. Um, and it does take a while to um, for adoption and getting things right. And we all know that with, you know, as we've evolved and learned to new technology over time. But um, I'm very excited about this as um, an opportunity um, for us. And I really look forward to seeing how the accrediting bodies um, utilize it. You know, where are people going to place them? Are they going to be within, you know, a 12-story hospital building, but, you know, one story up, you know, where they have two different types of control centers, and they're able to do multi-vendors with, you know, not just multi-vendors, you know, looking at three different, you know, that would be like looking at, you know, um, a Hitachi, a Philips, a Siemens, multiple scan at the same time, just helping, loading in protocols, assisting someone that's one floor down in a reading room environment. I look forward to seeing if someone does use it at a remote, you know, like outpatient facility, and they're helping someone at a large hospital 
help, you know, you know, with helping with quality and loading in these new sequences. I'm looking forward to see how it makes a solution for everyone out there. And then, you know, using best practices for people that are currently using it. So I'm, I'm very excited about where this goes, if you can't tell. Yeah, and I think it. I think the opportunity is there to to improve safety uh, from a lot of respects. And you know, one of the things that uh, we are, as we said, we're waiting with bated breath, is for the uh, latest installment from the ACR of their MR manual, their manual on MR safety. When that uh, document comes out, I fully expect that we'll be doing a podcast, MRI cast on the new manual on MR safety. And at that point, we'll come back and we'll take a look and see what they say about remote scanning uh, as part of that discussion on the new manual. So maybe that's something, maybe that's something you can look forward to. Uh, I hope so anyway. Um, and that really, that really, of course. Yeah. Well, folks, that, that uh, brings us to the end of this uh, podcast. We, uh, MRI cast, we hope, uh, thank you very much. We, we hope you have enjoyed it. Um, hope you found it useful. Uh, Kristen, thanks for taking the time to, to do this. Oh, thanks, always a pleasure. Always a good time. It's always fun. Yeah, always a good time. Okay, folks, thanks again. Thanks again to Brocco for their unrestricted educational grant. Don't forget to visit, uh, subscribe to the MRI cast through uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, you can visit it online, mricast.com, and there you will find uh, CE credits for most of these at any rate. So that'll do it for both of uh, for both of us. Uh, we really want to thank you for taking your time. We're out of here. You're just going to have to get over it. We'll see you next time. Take care. Bye. Thank you, everybody. You've been listening to MRI Cast. This program is made possible by an unrestricted educational grant from Brocco Diagnostics.